Did you collect comic books when you were a kid? My comic book collection was mostly Peanuts and Calvin and Hobbes and Doonesbury. In fact, between those three strips and a few others, I have enough to fill probably three shelves in my living room. Well, that pales in comparison to Zvi Safran. His comic book collection numbers around 75,000. And it's one of only three extensive collections to which he attends when his life isn't too busy with his real job, being president of SUNY Canton. Today on Northwards, we'll talk with President Zafran about his collections and how they shape who he is. And we'll chat with musician and composer Ann Sweeten about her love for the piano and of the St. Lawrence River, and how both have helped her face some major health challenges. I'm Mitch Tyke. All that's coming your way on Northwards next from North Country Public Radio. This is Northwards, the monthly interview show coming to you from North Country Public Radio. I'm Mitch Tyke. It's that time of year. College students are back or coming back to places like Potsdam and Paul Smith's and Plattsburgh and Burlington and Syracuse. Please extend your sympathies to the young adults among us who are already sitting in classrooms in these waning days of August. When you are a college student, or at least when I was a college student, the gulf between you and your professors and the administration can seem huge. I mean, here you are still eating dinner from the cereal bar, and the people in charge are older, and they dress nicely, and they use words like pedagogy. But you know, sometimes you find out that you have something in common with your elders. Maybe they're a competitive figure skater, or they're addicted to Skittles, or in the case of one North Country University president, they have a huge collection of comic books. We start our show today with an interview from the ivory tower like none I have ever experienced. I had a chance to sit with the very accomplished president of SUNY Canton, Zvi Safran, and talk about three of the things that make him tick. Viewmaster reels, jazz, and his comic book collection. Thanks so much for having me here. Thanks, Mitch. Love to have you here and uh, looking forward to it. As, as I'm looking, you have a, a variety of comic books on the table in front of us here, and I wondered how much of your comic book collection is wrapped up in memory. Well, actually, um, well, I remember all of it, or almost <laughs> all of it, because, you, know, um, you know, when I bought it, you know, I wanted it for a particular reason. Okay, but I've got 75,000 comic books. and so 75,000? Yes. And so I've got to have an app to tell me, do I have this issue? I actually buy very little uh, older comics because I've got pretty much everything that I want, and the stuff that I don't have that I would want costs more than I'm willing to pay for it. And so the most I've ever paid for a single comic book is somewhere between $20 and $25. And That's pretty reasonable. Yeah. And, you know, this isn't to say that if I'm going somewhere and I see a Superman number one, right, and they want $50 for it, believe me, I'll spend the 50 <laughs> quickly. Okay? And, um, but I don't know what I'd do at that point. I mean, I've already read it as a reprint. It's too valuable to just have around the house where, you know, somebody might spill some coffee on it. And, you know, I'd have to encase it in plastic, right, and get it graded so that nobody could actually ever look at it again, okay, and then resell it. And so and where's then the, the fun point in, is, right, what Yeah, would, where's the fun in that? Yeah, well, what I would mean, you want Except to it? make yeah. the money. Right. <laughs> right. And so that's not the way I collect. And so 
I've got 75,000 comic books, and not a single one of them is encased. I, I can't let the opportunity go, uh, or I can't let the opportunity pass without asking you about the Archie comic that is on your wall that you are in. Yeah, that, that's just one of those strange things in life. And so, you know, I collect comics. I've usually got a box of them next to the bed. So when I wake up as I'm trying to get less groggy, I'll usually pull out a comic book and read it and then, you know, and go and take care of business for the day. And so one day I picked up an Archie comic, which I've always liked since I was a kid. And Archie, as is his wont, blew up the chemistry lab. <laughs> now, I'm a chemist by background. And so I turned to my wife and I said, you know, I wish they wouldn't do this in the comic book. It makes people afraid of chemistry. It makes them think it's unsafe. My wife looked at me and said, well, why are you telling me this? Why don't you call them and tell them what you just said? I said, I think I will. So I went to work, picked up the phone, called up the Archie comic book <laughs> company and said, let me speak to the managing editor, Vic Gorelick. And I knew his name because I'd seen it in the comic books. <laughs> And so, oddly enough, they put me right through. And so I said, Vic, I'm a longtime reader, and I wish you know, you'd stop having Archie blow up the chemistry lab if you'd only adopt microscale chemistry, which I did, was doing research in and, you know, and uh, teaching people how to use with two of my colleagues. Um, this sort of thing wouldn't happen anymore. And so he said, well, that sounds interesting. Why don't you send us some information about it? Maybe there's a story in this. And soon after, um, a letter appeared, and I said, okay, here's the formal get lost. But I opened it up, and no, it had thumbnail sketches of the story, and it said, look it over, let us know if we need to correct anything, and if you and your college would like to be drawn into the story, send us some photographs. And, um, and so we sent in the stuff, and they produced a story, and it's in the comic book right here. We got lots of publicity, and every student at the college wanted an autographed copy of the uh, thing. So we actually had to buy like three or four cases of these comics. So the Archie Comic Company did very well. Uh, that was a very good phone call. I guess, and and you know, and I've got for, the original art on my wall. And for someone who has held comic books so dear in his life, having the two subjects that that are you know. Maybe yin and yang in your in your um, in the person who you are represented in one place is not a bad legacy to have. Do you remember the set of circumstances that put your first comic book in your hand? Yeah, actually, I do. Um, I was home it's, and I was sick, and so you know I was in bed, and my parents wanted to get something to keep me occupied, <laughs> and so my father brought home. Uh, copy of a Disney comic and of a Superman comic and maybe some other ones, okay? And those were the first comics I had, and um, I was hooked. It was, it was from that moment. It was a life-changing experience. Well, maybe it didn't start being life-changing <laughs> at that point, but I was interested. And, you know, over the course of time, I started to collect them. Um, I didn't actually realize early on that um, one could have consecutive issues of these things, and that the story might continue from one <laughs> issue to another, right? That came to me later when I was surprised that uh, I picked up a Batman comic, uh, which was in Detective. And um, then uh, at the five and dime where I got it, uh, a week or two later, there was another one, right? And I said, oh, they're different. <laughs> and this one's got this number on it, and this one's got a number that's one digit higher. <laughs> oh, 
okay, that was interesting. So maybe there are a bunch of them that I don't have. And then the collector in me said, you've got to get them all. <laughs> and so, uh, and that's where the nightmare began. <laughs> the collector in you, but, but presumably before the, the collector in you came out, there, you, you were getting into these comic books. I mean, do you, do you remember what it was that really, like, made you connect with them? Why, why this and not... You know, baseball cards or Hardy Boys books or, or anything else? Well, I was, you know, I was a, a voracious reader, okay? And um, there were certain books that I really liked. Um, I remember when I was a kid, for example, one of the series that I liked was the Tom Swift books, right? And that may have propelled me to a life in science, okay? And, um, you know, and I found those enjoyable. And I liked comic books for the same reason. I mean, some of them were funny, so they made me laugh, and I liked that. And, you know, some of them were more exciting, and I liked that. And so, you know, I just, I liked them. I liked the art. I liked the interplay between the words and the art. I thought that was interesting. And in some cases, um, believe it or not, comic books can make you think, okay, because they're on some theme you've not considered. And so um, they're a little bit thought-provoking in different ways. And plus, there's, they're a little bit um, something that your parents you know, kind of look down on. Right? And all kids like things like that. So as, as you got older, you kept collecting comic books. Yes. When did, the, when did the, the, the phenomenon of having these comic books turn into something that you, you wanted to make more of? You know, when I was younger, okay, and I say uh, basically up to the age of 14, right, I collected them. You know, I wasn't really trying to have everything, okay, but, you know, there were certain titles that I liked that I wanted to have good runs of. And, you know, that was fine. Comic books at that point cost 12 cents. And so um, then um, 1969, 1970 hit, and the price of comics went up from 12 to 15 cents. So I went into the store where I got them. Normally I could get eight comic books and a pack of bubblegum cards, right, for a dollar and one cent. So I had my dollar and one cent, and I picked out the eight comic books and the pack of bubblegum cards. And the guy at the drugstore said, uh, sorry, it costs more. And I said, what are you talking about? And he said, the price of comic books is now 15 cents. And so long story short, I said, I don't need this kind of misery. And I stopped collecting comic books at this point, okay, and began again when I went to college. And so my wife, uh, in something that she has regretted ever since, right, uh, we were just, you know, out for a walk and we saw a sign that said comic show in such and such a hall at uh, my graduate school. And she said, didn't you used to collect comics? And I said, I did. And she said, might it be fun to go to this thing, <laughs> right? And I said, yeah, let's go. And so I went <laughs> to the comic show, okay, and I was looking for one particular magazine, because I still bought them sporadically, okay? And there was a comic book called The Spirit, which I really liked. And I had every issue except the first issue. So I went in there to see if I could find it. Yeah, somebody had it, right? And it was just a couple of dollars, so I bought it, right? And, um, and I saw other things that I already had, that were selling for decent money. And so I had the idea, okay, let me get my father to ship down my comic book collection and I'll sell it, okay, and get some money for other pursuits. And so he shipped it down 
but uh, I couldn't bring myself to sell it, <laughs> okay, because it brought back too many nice memories, and that's when it all really began, and I started to collect in dead earnest. We'll take a short break, and when we come back, we'll continue our conversation with SUNY Canton President Zvi Safran. This is Northwards from NCPR. NCPR's Northwards is supported by Renew Architecture and Design, helping people design custom places to live and work throughout NCPR's listening region, renewarchitecture.com. By Brewer Bookstore on Park Street in Canton, open to the public seven days a week featuring books, household items, and gifts, brewerbookstore.com. And by Claxton Hepburn Medical Center, Ogdensburg, hosting a career fair for nursing and medical technician staff on September 14th in Hess Auditorium. Appointments are encouraged but not required. Call Keeley Springer at 315-877-1370. Back with Northwards from North Country Public Radio, I'm Mitch Tyke. We've been chatting with Zvi Safran, longtime chemistry professor and academic leader, now into his 10th year as president of SUNY Canton. But we're not talking about his philosophy of higher education. We're hearing about some other things that are important to him, including Viewmaster Reels, comic books, and jazz. I, I have to think, you know, you, you, you know you're, you're leading this college, and there are younger people around all the time who have grown up in a world where the Marvel Universe, for example, is a completely different place than it was when you were getting into comic books. So much of it is dominated by the film industry. Do you think that kids you know, or younger people appreciate comic books for the phenomenon that for the reasons that you appreciate them? Well, I think when they're exposed to them, they do. Um, you know, you've got the film industry, but the truth of the matter is, if you look at the stories in the movies, they're all based on comic books that were put out when I was reading them. Okay, and so um, the great creators of comic books, like Steve Ditko, who did uh, Spider-Man, like Jack Kirby, who did the Fantastic Four, and the Avengers, and the X-Men, and who basically did everything that wasn't Spider-Man, right? <laughs> and, you know, the Doctor Strange movie, that's the other right. one that Ditko had something to do with, right? And, um, you know, these are wonderful comics. They had wonderful stories in them. Um, I still remember them. I still remember the very first issue of uh, a Marvel comic that I ever bought and where I bought it, for that matter. And Well, uh, can you share that? <laughs> um, I was actually... Um, uh, we went to get my grandmother, who had come up from New York City on the New York Central train. And so I went to the train station, and they had a newsstand there. And there were some comics I'd never seen before, right? There was a Spider-Man number 18 <laughs> and a Fantastic Four number 32. Look how much I remember. And you were how old? Uh, I would have been maybe 12 at this point. And, um, and the Spider-Man issue said, The End of Spider-Man. So I said, okay, I'm not going to buy that if it's ending, okay, <laughs> which I didn't realize that was just hype, okay? <laughs> clickbait. It was, yeah, the, it was the equivalent of clickbait. Exactly. But the Fantastic Four one actually scared me when I read it, okay, because in the story um, it involved um, the uh, Human Torch and uh, the Invisible Girl's father, okay, and he had been 
basically kidnapped by the evil guys in it, that was the Skrulls. And um, they rigged a thing where they had defeated them, they had to give him back, but they also had wired him with an explosive. So that if the Fantastic Four got near him, right, and he looked up at them, he'd kill them all um, through that explosive. And he realized this and basically took the explosion himself, killing himself. And I'd never seen that in a comic book. That was pretty shocking, okay, to my 12-year-old mind, or whatever age I was. And, um, And I was hooked. And so at that point I started adding Marvel comics, which I hadn't seen before, to what I bought. And um, so, you know, I didn't stop with the Disneys. I didn't stop with the DC Supermans. But, you know, there was more to be had. And so, um, you know, my tastes expanded. You have taught courses that uh, include comic books, if I remember correctly? I've been a guest lecturer in uh, the course at comic, comic Books as Literature. Um, the students here at SUNY Canton uh, surprised me very nicely in the eighth year that I was here, so they made me wait. Um, <laughs> so they decided to host a Comic-Con here at the college and invited me to speak at it. And so I did, and so I gave a talk on racism and sexism in comics, which is a subject that interests me greatly. And since then, I've given talks on various other subjects. They have a Comic-Con now every year. So um, this last year, I gave a talk on who really created Marvel Comics, okay? And, um, and what does it mean to create something? And so because there's, you know, a big argument, you know, what credit should Stan Lee, mm-hmm. the person who most people know the most, get for what he did? And there are people who argue almost none, and other people argue almost everything. And, um, you know, I'm on the, he took credit for things he didn't really do side of things, but I still think he had an importance for various reasons. What it means to create something is a fluid thing. I would think that the nature of collecting stuff has changed a lot today based on the fact that you can see so many things online. And we were talking about this at the radio station when I mentioned uh, that you also have a Viewmaster collection. and. You know, there's a time in our lives if you wanted to see a, you know, a picture of a zebra on the Serengeti, you could pull out a Viewmaster and, you know, see Mutual of Omaha's Animals of the Serengeti, and there was a zebra in that kind of quasi-3D. And today, you go to Google and you type in zebras Serengeti and you get, you know, 65 pictures instantaneously of zebras on the Serengeti, and yet... Um, there's something different about experiencing the picture when you're holding the the machine in your hand. I agree, and you know, I always tell people everything's better in 3D. <laughs> okay, and one of the nice things about ViewMasters is that, um, especially in their classic period, is that the images are really good and they're real. They've really got depth to them, and it's very pleasurable to uh, look at them. It's really, they used to say, second only to being there. And there's some truth to that. You know, and as you collect these things, there are certain things that are easy to get, and then there are things that are harder to get. So my holy grail, since I was born in Israel, okay, I wanted the viewmasters of everything associated with Israel. And so the Israel-American packet is very common. Okay, so you can get it for under $10. Um, There's a packet for the city of Tel Aviv, okay, which has three reels in it, 
which was made in Belgium, which is super scarce. And so I was literally hunting for this thing for 10 years before I finally got one. <laughs> I saw it on eBay, and so I bid like $200 for it, figuring I wouldn't have to spend it all, okay? But I really wanted it, and I lost, okay? Somebody bid higher than that, and I'm saying, what on earth is going on here? I bid 10 times the catalog value, okay? And then never saw another one for 10 years. I mean, I called all the big dealers and so forth. Nobody had this. And then one day I was just looking on eBay, again, um, saying Belgium Viewmasters, okay? And there was one there, right? And the guy wanted $80 for it, so I bought it. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. And now I've got it for less than I was willing to pay originally, but it took me 10 years for that to happen. There's something else on the table in front of us, and that's a, a Miles Davis uh, CD. It looks like a box set, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, and jazz is another huge part of who you are. Uh, when did jazz become um, this integral part of Zvi, and, um, and what does it mean today? Well, you know, when I was younger, you know, I was introduced to music the same way everybody else is. I heard stuff on the radio and stuff that the other kids were listening to. So, you know, it was the Beatles and things like that. And, you know, and my parents reacted to it the way that all the other parents did, which is, you know, what is this terrible noise, right? And Their so, hair is so long. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, my mother struck a deal with me, okay? And she said, for every album of that yeah, yeah, yeah music, which is what she called it, Um, you have to listen to an album of classical music. And she bought some accessible classical music that she thought I might like. And much to my surprise, I found out that I did. And so, you know, I started to enjoy classical music. And when I went to college, okay, I ran into some people who liked jazz. And I really wasn't familiar with it. And I asked, okay, what's a good thing to start with? And they suggested, you know, Dave Brubeck and, you know, other jazz musicians that are readily accessible to most people. They'll listen to it and they'll like it. And so I tried that, and I did like it. And so I started to spread from there to the great female jazz vocalists, okay, like Ella Fitzgerald and uh, Dinah Washington and um, people like that. And... um, And then, you know, it just expanded from there as, you know, I looked at different genres of jazz and found that I really liked them. And so I really liked the classical period from jazz from the 1930s to uh, basically uh, 1965 or so. And and so that's where the majority of my collection is because that's what I like best. But there are some more recent ones that I like too. And so what I uh, brought with me, um, you know, you can get jazz on records. And so I've got a couple of records of it here. I've got a Blue Notes, three decades of jazz, starting in 1939 and going to 1949. This is volume one. There are some that go later. Okay, and that's really cool. And I've got a Benny Goodman here, because I'm a huge Benny Goodman fan. And Miles Davis, of course, is a bit more recent. Um, This is a CD set, but... uh, you know, so there's the big argument, which is better, vinyl or CDs. And I decided I don't have to decide, okay? <laughs> I can get both. And so um, the Miles Davis set is really nice because it's got all the stuff that was commercially released in that period and then a whole bunch of stuff that wasn't alternate takes and things that they decided not to put on the album. 
And so, again, the collector in me, when I like a particular musician, I want every note that they ever sang. Okay? And so that's how I am. And so I've got a huge collection of Miles Davis um, for that reason. And, um, and more of it keeps coming out because there's, you know, a lot of stuff that was never commercially released and, you know, it gets packaged and cleaned up and so on. And so every so often there's something new by Miles Davis, even though he hasn't been with us for quite some time. Is there a holy grail of jazz, uh, much the way there was one uh, in Viewmaster for you? No, not really, because, um, you know, the nice thing about the music industry is it's constantly putting out older stuff in new packages. And so this is really the best time ever, okay, if you want to collect and own music, because fewer people are doing this, and so the music companies are a little more desperate, and so they put out big box sets, right, collecting everything, and especially in classical music. And um, so you can get these, uh, you know, boxes with a hundred CDs in them of everything that Eugene Ormandy did with the Philadelphia Symphony in mono, okay? <laughs> and so you know another box set is coming of what was released in stereo. And in fact, I just saw on eBay it's coming out in a couple months. And you can be sure I'll be buying it. I was just going to ask if you had the alert turned on for it. I absolutely do. <laughs> Where do you keep all this stuff? Uh, I've got a big house. <laughs> and so uh, the collection has kind of gotten out of hand. It's probably at uh, three or 4,000 LPs now. I've got the two big shelves the, totally filled. I've got, they're now, you know, stacked on the floor, okay, in, my, in one of the music rooms. And um, so I've got to figure out how to do something with them. And so I've kind of stopped buying new LPs, but not completely. I'm just, it's just very hard to get me to buy one now. It strikes me, though, that, that your music collection is the one collection that you can enjoy while you're also enjoying your comic books or your Viewmasters. Well, I've got to admit that um, one of my big pleasures in life is sitting back, having a cool album on, and reading a comic book while I'm listening to it. Okay, I haven't ever combined Viewmasters with other things, Okay, because I'm not sure why. I just haven't. Maybe I will now. And, I think um, you could write a whole blog article on the best jazz albums that go with certain genres of Viewmaster. Well, that would be kind of cool. Um, as it happens, at the college, I do have a blog that, uh, it's called The Weekly Blab. It's not quite weekly, because I just don't have the time to put it out weekly. And often I will write about something interesting in music that something that I bought set me off to thinking about. And so um, I'll often do that. I'll often talk about a comic book, say, that led to a current movie, okay? And, um, or, you know, again, just something that I've bought recently that set off some thoughts. And so, again, I enjoy writing about that. And um, I'm also on uh, Facebook I'm in the perfect group for me, which is Old Guys Who Love Old Comics, <laughs> okay? Which kind of describes me perfectly. <laughs> And, you know, and again, I've had an opportunity to incorporate what I love into what I do at the college. And so with jazz, for example, during the pandemic, I wanted to give students something to do online. So I did a series of 24 or 26, I can't remember now, episodes of Jazz with the Prez. Okay, every Saturday night, I would do a show on a different jazz musician. 
and I'd invite the students to uh, listen, and I found out not only students were listening, but some of our um, college council members were listening, and some of our alumni were listening as they heard about this, and they liked jazz too, and so I got to talk with them, and in fact, every so often somebody said, when are you gonna bring that back? <laughs> and so I may, I may do some a couple more episodes this fall, we'll see. Right, but I really enjoyed doing that, and you know, I did it on Zoom, and so I get a chance to uh, tell people about the stuff that I like, and students sometimes even think, oh, this president, he's kind of cool. I was just going to say, there are not always uh, good opportunities to humanize a president at a yeah. college, and this uh, seems like uh, several really kind of amazing ways to, uh, to connect with them, even if they didn't know they were into comic books or jazz beforehand. Well, one of the nicest things that happened was at the first Comic-Con, I had a table and I was displaying some of the more interesting stuff that I have. And a student who was just looking at the college, because we were doing an open house that day, um, came by and just chatted with me and looked at the things. And he said, you know, I've got an uncle who is the artist on a particular comic book. And he asked if I've ever heard of it, and I hadn't heard of that particular comic. The student wound up enrolling here at SUNY Canton, and like the day that he came with his parents to, you know, move in, um, he came by my office and he had a couple of graphic novels by his uncle that had been autographed to me and that had little drawings um, that he had done, that the artist had done by hand, and he gave it to me as a gift. Oh, wow. And so I thought that was just, you know, the nicest thing and kind of ties it all together. Absolutely. Well, Zvi Safran, thank you so much for sharing these parts of your life with us, and uh, here's to uh, to many more years of collecting. Well, thank you, and it's been a pleasure. Zvi Safran was appointed president of SUNY Canton in 2014. We met him in his office where his walls include several framed comic book covers and comic strips, including the original artwork from the Archie comic in which he was featured. You'll find a photo at ncpr.org northwards. One more break and then we'll meet piano player and composer Anne Sweeten, whose music helps people cope with health challenges, including her own. This is Northwards from NCPR. Northwards on NCPR is supported by The Book Nook, an independent bookstore located on Broadway in Saranac Lake, on Facebook at SL Book Nook, and by Planned Parenthood, providing confidential, supportive counseling, education, advocacy, and a 24-hour hotline through their Sexual Assault Services Program in Clinton, Essex, and Franklin Counties. More of Northwards Now coming to you from North Country Public Radio. I'm Mitch Tyke. The last couple of decades have included some pretty challenging times for musician Anne Sweeten. But even through multiple bouts with cancer, Sweeten has, through her music, tried to make life a little better for people who are dealing with their own health challenges. Sweeten was born in Watertown and spent her early years there and along the St. Lawrence River. She now has homes in Massachusetts and in Clayton, where she spends about half the year. Her new CD is called Love Walks Through Rain, and she joins us on the line. Very nice to meet you. Same here, Mitch. Well, and before we get too much further, I think I have to say a belated happy birthday. Yes, I, I had a great birthday, um, the 1st of August. <laughs> how, how did you spend it? Well, 
uh, in the morning more you know just trying to deal with stuff because we left the next day for to to come back to massachusetts uh but in the afternoon we went to this little uh cute kind of restaurant cafe for some prosecco um and it looks right out on the this marina in clayton new york and then we went to a restaurant called de prinzio's for dinner uh right on the saint lawrence river and also in clayton uh, had a delicious dinner and went home and opened packages and people called me to wish me happy birthday which is why i forgot my phone <laughs> right it you sent me a note this morning saying that you left your phone in in clayton and uh, and right. you're back in massachusetts well the, the thing was i i had packed it away i thought everyone had called me and somebody <laughs> else called me and i my husband pulled it out and then i left it on the table and we left early in the morning and i've never done that never 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 <laughs> done that and oh anyway well, so we're talking to you in in Massachusetts, uh, but as you say, you you have this place in Clayton. What is, what does having the place up here mean to you? Well, it's the St. Lawrence River has always been near and dear to my heart. Uh, when I was a few months old, we moved up to Watertown, New York, and we lived on a street called Paddock Street. At that point in time, my father worked at New York Airbrake, and. Um, it was it was a great neighborhood, but all of our neighbors also summered at this little yacht club in Clayton called the Clayton Yacht Club, uh, right on the river. So my parents did as well, and then we'd all go down there, and everybody had a cabana back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> now it's completely renovated and very different, but parts of it are still exactly like they were when I was a little girl, and it's very, very nostalgic. But uh, anyway. Um, we moved away when I was quite young, but my mother kept in touch with all these neighbors and would bring me back and to uh, revisit and rekindle and go down to the river, the yacht club and whatnot. And um, as I got older, my mother passed away when I was quite young. Uh, I stayed in touch with her contemporaries. Um, all their kids, you know, were off at college or they'd graduated, gotten married, were starting to have kids and stuff. And that was not my path. Um, and so, you know, over the years, I kept loosely in touch with a number of the people. And then they would try and get as many of the folks that were more my age to visit as well if they were around. So that's how it started. And then I decided I wanted to get a house up there. And we looked and we looked and we looked and we couldn't find anything. And then my husband had been saying right along, well, let's buy land. And I said, oh, good God, I can't even <laughs> begin to think of, you know, <laughs> I didn't think I was the septic, the well, the wiring, the electric. I, I just, it was just completely daunting. But we were having no luck. So one day we get, we had a list of houses we wanted to see. And the realtor said, I'm sorry, but none of these are a go. I mean, you don't want to see them. You can see them, but you won't like them. And I said, all right, very well. You got me land. <laughs> and so I actually have one parcel left, blah, 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 right on the river. And we went to go see it. That was it. We bought it. And uh, that was 2014. We built the shell in 2016. And now we live there. We're there about six months back and forth, you know, three weeks there, one week here. 
you know, when you when you get to a certain age, you should probably stop thinking about those things you'd like to do when you grow up. But having another place somewhere uh, seems like something that I would like to have when I grow up. Listening listening to you talk about uh, about having this place to go to, it sounds like uh, just a really special part of who you are. It is. It absolutely is. And the other thing is that I named the place after one of my pieces, River Song. albums the covers were all shot up there i compose up there i write my liner notes up there many times it's just it's wonderful we have so so many more friends up there actually than we do here and i've lived here for god i think it's 40 years now we have friends but you know it's just it's not these these relationships go back to childhood. I mean, some of these people, we all ran around in the sprinklers together. Oh, wow. You know what I mean? <laughs> in the backyard on Paddock Street. It's just very cool. Forgive this question because maybe I'm I'm making uh, a comparison that doesn't exist. But you you tell me, you and your husband designed the house on the St. Lawrence River, kind of from whole cloth. Is there a comparison to be made? in designing a house and writing a song? Well, the process is very different, but <laughs> I think the philosophy behind it is the same. And um, Randy has incredible vision and very artistic in multi-mediums. And, I mean, he gets these ideas all the time. But in much the same way, you know, I'll I'll be thinking about something or are influenced by what's going on in nature right outside you know a moody day for example you know I mean, one of the pieces on my new album is out of the fog it, it's it um, multi-dimensional, but the initial sort of impetus for the song or the inspiration, I was uh, sitting in our rate room and uh, it was extremely foggy. And one of those, you know, those big freighters that go by, mm -hmm. uh, when it was coming out, almost looked like a ghost ship. And you could barely see it and was emerging out of this bank of mist and fog and blank piece of paper and a song was born. You know, I think I wrote it in one day. When did that, uh, the the Ann Sweeten who was running around uh, under the sprinkler at five, at what point did you know you wanted to be a musician? Well, actually, when I was six, I had gone over to my cousin's house and she had this little toy keyboard. It was no more than, you know, probably a foot and a half long, <laughs> you know, nothing. But I was fascinated absolutely fascinated i had already started taking ballet so i loved music and my mother always had broadway show tune records going on and other things too but i was always dancing in front of the stereo and 
So I guess I, I'm just musically inclined, and I I happened to tell my mother about my cousin's keyboard, and I you know went on and on and on. I said, you know, Christmas is coming. You think I could get one? And uh, she just took it all. Well, we'll see, we'll see. And that Christmas, my mother gave me a Hammond organ, <laughs> <laughs> and I was so elated, and I couldn't reach the pedals because I was too little. So I stood the first year, and I started lessons but i play i started playing it right away and then you know through the course of a couple of different teachers uh we um they told me that i told my mother if you want her to develop truly develop technically um you need to get an acoustic instrument here and so my ninth christmas i got a piano Well, and, and to hear this story and, and to listen to your latest album or, or you know, uh, your previous work, people would be surprised to hear if if I have this right, and I, I think I do, that, that when you started, you, you fronted a rock band. Well, I mean, I, <laughs> yes, I, I was, um, well, I had, you know, I had done a lot of ballet and I had done a few, a couple of musicals, my teacher's I was in a in a little ballet company in New Jersey, actually, and they were hired by a couple of uh, regional uh, theaters to provide choreography and the dancers for the chorus. So I did a couple of those. But then shortly after college, living in Boston, I got myself into a rock band. Yes. <laughs> and I had the spiked hair and everything. <laughs> and I was the lyricist of all the music in the original a band and uh we did that for i guess it was a couple of years then i went back to the boston conservatory and uh you know i for a while i was juggling two careers um i was using the kind of cabaret at clubs and restaurants i would sing and play but then i started to introduce my own material into my sets and the response was like incredible. <laughs> so I met my husband in 90 and I hadn't recorded anything yet, but he said, what was that that you just played? We met on uh, Block Island, Rhode Island. And we were at one of the hotels that had a piano and I was just playing um, while he went to get us a couple of drinks or something. And I said, oh, it's just composition of the moment. And he said, you're kidding, right? And I said, no, I'm just literally fussing around on the piano. He goes, that should be recorded. And I said, no, 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 no. And he said, yes, 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 yes. And I said, well, listen, you know, I'm primarily an actress and all of that. And I'm, yes, I'm a musician. But I said, what? so if I record it, I have no idea what to do. He goes, just record it. We'll figure it out. And that is the beginning of the story. <laughs> and now 16 albums later. <laughs> so how are you doing? I, I, I gather the, the last few years haven't really been uh, especially easy for you. Uh, I would say the last 20 plus, actually. Um, yeah, two, two bouts of breast cancer. And then I ended up with leukemia in 2017, which really pulled my cork because... You know, I figured I was done. You know, I was just done. And I was just, what What more can really happen here? But um, the first time I had breast cancer, 
uh, the radiation doses that they used was pretty pretty powerful and i no one can really say this but i've talked to some of my doctors and they feel that it's probably because of that anyway i you know now let's see it's been six years i'm on my fourth drug they are referred to as chemo drugs but they are not uh, iv they're pill you take every day and I've had a lot of side effects, problems, which is why I've had so many different ones. The one I'm on now, knock on wood, um, appears to be doing a good job without any issues. So I'm just like this, you know, I just try not to even think about it. I just like, like take every day. Sometimes something, I'll feel something and I'm like, I wonder if that's drug related. This has definitely taken a lot out of me all these drugs, you know, I'm a pretty energetic person and stuff, but not the way I was before all this proverbial, you know what, hit the proverbial thing. <laughs> it must at least be nice to have this place in Clayton and also the comfort of your music to go to uh, when times are rough. When I'm up there, I totally forget about it. And one reason we come home, like for a week or so, um, is usually for, well, it's, you know, they follow me closely. So I have to see these doctors and stuff. Um, so, you know, that when I get home, it's like, okay, now we have to face that music and, you know, those blood tests and and wait for those results and hope that the drug is, is working the way they had wanted it to. Uh, but being up there is, yes, it's just complete solace. And, you know, it is just so beautiful. I mean, it's and so pastoral. I mean, mo most of around us is conservation land, too. And then my music, uh, through everything, I've always sat down at my piano and whatever pain or anger or, you know, the various emotions you go through when these things happen. Um, and it's released somehow channels through my fingers into the keyboard and out comes this um, piece. And now one example was when I did get um, the diagnosis for the leukemia, um, the nature of the, they call the, like, the rogue chromosome is called Philadelphia 22. And um, I wrote a piece called Philadelphia 22. And when I first wrote it, it was angry. And I mean, there was a lot of boom, banging on the keys. And that was, you know, that was how it started, its inception. And then gradually as I worked it, the anger was released and I was able to um, finesse it into something that was dramatic and powerful, but not anger for anger's sake. I was able to harness it that's it i was able to harness the anger by by smoothing it out and it, it's a beautiful piece and it's very like 
very emotional. You know something's going on. But I knew I had to, to start the piece, I had to let that out because I could. I need to get past it. You know, does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, oh, totally, totally, yeah. You know, you were talking about um, – you know how you've been through uh, a couple of bouts with breast cancer, and and you're currently living through leukemia. And I I, I saw in your biography that one of the things that you do is that you're actually a featured artist with something called uh, Healing Healthcare Systems. Is that music for people who are are going through rough times with their health? Well, as well? it's it's health. Issues in general. This is a healing healthcare systems. That's the company name. Um, the care channel is what it's is featured in all these hospitals and uh, clinics and, and whatnot for people who are in the hospital who have in their audio videos. So people see a relaxing, beautiful thing. They make these videos and they put an artist's music to it. And they did a feature on me. I think it was a couple years ago. But the video is just gorgeous, and they have my music coming in, but they also have me playing and coming in and out through the mountains and, and stuff, sort of ghosted imagery and whatnot. And it's just so soothing for people who are in an otherwise very stark environment, mm. you know? So, um, yeah, and, and before that, uh, I did a, I was involved briefly with Arts and Healthcare, which was started in at St. Joseph's, college in uh west hartford connecticut they had a nursing program and everything and i gave i gave a a regular concert for the public then i did a another concert for the nursing students with a q a the following day then we went to the hospital and i gave another concert in the lobby and then we did another meet and greet in the luncheon upstairs with all the the clergy some patients uh, one one patient was there, and she came up to me. Um, she had, you know, her kerchief and everything, and she was in a wheelchair with her husband. And she stayed for the concert. She came to the luncheon. They they all had so many questions for me. I couldn't get around to her to talk to her, and she had already left. And I was like, oh. and they told me she was in hospice. And I was just like, oh God. And then I saw, I just really wished I could have gotten her number, you know, or just talked with her briefly. Well, Lord, and believe it or not, I, on the way home, I got a text and she contacted me. And I, then we went back and forth and whatnot. She said, I want to use your um, poem and your song halfway home for my eulogy. <laughs> she said, I'm writing it myself. And I wondered if I could use my stamps. But I mean, you know, she said, I, I have my plans to, to get the hell out of here. But she said, in the meantime, I have to take care of a few things. I mean, it was just anyway, when she passed away and I, I dedicated a, um, a video to her. Let me ask you a weird question because this is the kind of thing that plays in my mind uh, a lot um, as as I work my way through middle age. Um, when you think when you're when you're in your own head, how old are you? Is this a question about how old I wish I was or how old I feel? You know, we have this vision of ourselves. I, I feel like we have this vision of ourselves, right? That if you know you conked me over the head and I you know, forgot 
like my current circumstances, I would wake up and think I'm like, what age? And, you know, for me, it's like 32 or something. And uh, like, I feel like, you know, there's a moment in my existence where I'm sitting with my relatives and they're all a certain age. And, you know, we're sitting around a room at my grandparents' house. And it's funny because it doesn't work really because I'm 32 and, you know, and they're like 41, but, you know, they're actually 30 years older than me. So, but like, I, I feel like we all have this moment that we're frozen in time. And I guess I'm curious, given all that you have gone through in your life, like whether you have a, if there's an Ann Sweeten that's frozen in time. I wouldn't say frozen in time, but I would say in my head, like early 40s. That's when I got married to Randy. Um, it was pre all this stuff. Um, I mean, I know it's changed me. You know, I just say that. Uh, well, before we uh, before we close, uh, yeah, uh, I really just want to say, uh, Anne Sweeten, it's really it's just been uh, a true delight getting to know you. Same here, Mitch. Anne Sweeten's latest CD is called Love Walks Through Rain. She spent part of her childhood in Watertown and along the St. Lawrence River. She now divides her time between Clayton and Massachusetts, which is where we reached her. You'll find out more about her at ncpr.org northwards. And with that, we come to the end of this edition of Northwards. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the Northwards podcast and get an episode delivered to you every Friday from the comfort of your phone or your computer or your smart speaker. And you can subscribe to the Northwards column delivered to you in newsletter form each weekend. Find them all at ncpr.org. Digital oversight of this show comes from Ethan Shanty and Bill Hanel. Caitlin Kelly does our social media. Doyle Dean shoots video. And I am Mitch Tyke, your humble host and producer. Thank you so much for listening. Here and Now is next on NCPR, followed by Science Friday and The Beat Authority. Have a great weekend.